0: Hey, Justin Baldoni here. Just wanted to let you know that my next book, Boys Will Be Human, a get real gut check to becoming the strongest, kindest, bravest person you can be is available for pre-order right now. You can go to boyswillbehuman.com. That's boyswillbehuman.com. It comes out October 4th. And I am so proud of this book. It's a book that I desperately needed when I was in middle school and high school. So if you know a boy that is between 11 and 100, I promise you this book is for them. That's boyswillbehuman.com.
1: Coming up on Man Enough. Music transports us, tra- takes us to what we could be as a species or as a group. And like comedy reminds us is that we're dumb animals. Like, oh my God, I, <laughs> I did do that once. Although to that end, obviously Richard Pryor broke ground and was, and was did a lot for right. uh, race relations, honestly, because he talked about taboo things. I don't have that history because I did not have a tough childhood. I did not grow up in a whorehouse. You know, I did not get discriminated against. So I am someone of privilege, so I should shut up.
2: Being man enough, what does that mean?
1: It's really manly to mess up, admit you're
2: wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil. So maybe I'm broken.
0: But those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to like put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent
2: sexist, but my experience is women are better.
3: Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system.
0: this is
3: Man Enough. Hey
2: everybody, welcome to Man Enough. We are back with another episode. We've got myself, Jamie Heath. Who else we got?
0: Uh, Liz Plank.
3: And Justin Baldoni. Ooh. Right, look at that. I was ready. Look at
2: us. Nobody introduced me. You guys did that. I did myself. Now I <laughs> feel like an ego guy. Um, <laughs> this is sweet to be back. We have an episode. We got Matt Walsh <gasps> in, our, so in our next one, right? Um, and he was really, really great. I think the audience is going to love it. What? Um, he's funny too. He's
3: so funny. What did you do? Um, he's about one it, of Liz? my favorite funny people. And I'm a UCB kid, so, and he's one of the founders of that theater. Um, but I feel like... Sometimes I feel like I'm too good at taking sad things and making them funny ah. and it's a little bit of a coping mechanism I need to kind of relax on. And so this weekend actually I was going to send a text to someone that was mad at me and I wasn't taking responsibility because I knew exactly how to like bring down the tension with a joke and I was like I'm not going to do that. Mm. And I'm actually proud of myself for not using humor in that situation. It's a good That's tool, good. Great. but mm. it can be a tool to distance yourself, right? I think like all a tools. Lot of men do that. All yeah.
0: tools. Yeah um can be used to build or destroy yes. right all tools can be used for good exactly. or for bad and i think there's a lot of coping mechanisms that we all have yes mm-hmm. i think that's a good i think that's a gr- great thing the fact that you were acknowledging that you go into comedy or to funny to diffuse situations or to not take accountability is i think 90% of the battle yeah I'm just jealous that you have that ability to be funny.
3: No, but it's not funny. It's just goofy.
0: I love your goofiness, though.
3: Thanks. I made it with my trauma. I love your goofiness.
0: The only time Jamie says I'm funny is when I'm being socially awkward or, like, say something that I shouldn't say. You know what he said? What did you say to me that one time? You said you're like... Sometimes you're Gaston and sometimes you're Steve Urkel. Yeah, that's right.
3: No, oh, Jesus, it's Stefan Gaston. Gaston,
0: you know Gaston from uh,
2: Gaston
3: um, from, that, from the Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, sometimes the Beast. he says, I'm oh, no. just very, like you you Gaston. Gaston. Yeah, he's like
2: Gaston, yes. and he's not like toxic like Gaston no. but in terms of how he looks and yes. the bruteness and all that. Yeah, he yes. I mean, says, then I can be like Steve Urkel. He's
0: mostly Steve Urkel in Gaston's body. But it's because I, it's because I didn't have a lot of guy friends growing up, so <laughs> do, I'm not. Do, uh, so I just say stupid things sometimes, and then he no. laughs at me, not with me, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could be more like. Well, this is one of the things I love and makes you
2: endearing is because you are super athletic, super articulate, very smart, incredibly creative. Uh, you are really, really a wonderful person, uh, and good looking, and all the stuff, right? So the fact that you have this Steve Urkel in you really underneath all that is, it balances it out a little bit, right? All right, let's
0: get into the episode now.
2: (laughs) Matt Walsh, the guy that uh, um, never won an Emmy.
0: (laughs) You'll get the context when you watch the show. We'll eh? be right back with zero time Emmy winning, Matt Walsh. This is Man Enough. All right, welcome back to the Man Enough podcast. I am Justin Baldoni. I'm Liz Plank. I'm Jamie Heath. And there's no one here because you've just told him mm-hmm. to just that to, to not to talk, to just pretend like he's not here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, if, you know, he's or, not. He's not good with improv. So mm-hmm. I just want to see if we can go four minutes without talking.
3: I'm nervous because we're supposed to improv, and we have the king of improv, well, just like like witnessing. I'm gonna challenge him on that. Us. We'll
0: see. We'll see. Who can, okay. Well, we'll I, don't I don't know. I don't know about that. Off. This is the riff that we're doing. Uh, I just wanted you to know that this is the riff that he was talking about. This is it.
3: This is it.
0: But it hasn't been
2: four minutes. (laughs) Sorry. Welcome to Man Enough, as you had said. We're here. What are we doing here, Jay? We
1: have Matt Walsh with us, everybody. Hello, everyone. Pleasure to be on the show. (laughs) Very excited. No complaints so far. By the way, did he do that okay? Because you. Yeah, we can go back. Yeah. (laughs) Do we have some
2: lessons? We'll do it a little later on. I got some tips. I could
1: hang back more. I mean, that's not a problem. I have no problem being like the sixth man off the bench. <laughs> less, pr- the... less pressure. I've I have was... made a career out of that.
3: Mm-hmm. I was listening to you talk on your podcast about how people, the number one thing that kind of people get wrong with improv is that they try and be funny. You've, that's the number one thing you think you have to do in improv. But is that the kind of number one mistake? Is that like, give us some pointers.
1: Oh, out of the gate. Well, first of all, thank you for doing research. Did you do guys, you guys do any no, research? No, no not you not phoned it in. Phoned it in. I'm a man. You're I a just man, show you're up. Lazy. Yeah, you I just walk. show up. That's what I well, do. Well, Liz, thank you for being a woman who does her <laughs> work. Um, I think the big improv lessons that I always tell are listen.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, yeah, don't, don't worry about being funny. Mm-hmm. It's not that you don't have to try to, you can try to be funny. But don't worry about it because it's a collaborative art form. Mm. So Mm. listening is all about relinquishing your idea and building someone else's.
3: I love Mm. that. I did UCB improv. I did did three shows at UCB and meeting you and, and just being in the same room as you is very special. Matt Walsh plays an amazing character called Mike McClintock in Veep, one of the best shows on earth ever. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I'm actually jealous because you get to experience it for the very first time. You're so funny and amazing. You've been Emmy nominated. You're in a new uh, a, a series. No, it's a movie. It's a, it's movie. a movie. It's a, with you're in a new movie with Eva Longoria called Unplugging. You're the founder of Open Book with your wife Morgan. and it. Uh, I it's did an, very
1: little to found that okay my wife did most of the work but yes we did found it together
3: we love that Mm -hmm. uh where you donate uh books that are gender affirming for lgbtq youth um Mm. and you have raised well you're one of the founding members of ecb which we've established Mm -hmm. and you also have been raising chickens in your free time Uh,
1: the chickens yeah during Mm -hmm. the pandemic i was going stir-crazy, so I, like many men, started making sourdough. I was gifted a starter from Tom <laughs> Papa, the comic. <laughs> wow. I named my starter. It's a kind of a thing you name your starter. My, mine was called Dovid19. Wow. Pretty cute, right? It was original. <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Good good <laughs> wordplay. And then uh, when that wasn't enough, making sourdough every day, I uh, found out people raise chickens, and I'm like, how has this happened? So I ordered a couple chicken coops on Amazon and then I realized I'd ordered a rabbit hutch first (laughs) it was not quite big enough so then I just kind of built I ordered a big one and built sort of like a shanty town version of a chicken coop and then I got chickens and then uh, my wife's like that's ugly our yard is pretty we're gonna knock that down and we're gonna spend money (laughs) we're gonna spend thousands of dollars and we're gonna hire people to come in and put the chicken coop up wow so we did that Wow. Yeah. It's fun. So and eggs are expensive. Let's be honest.
0: Eggs are expensive. Eggs are getting inflation's happening. Eggs are getting more and more. And expensive. it was
1: good for the kids during the pandemic. It gave them something to do. And only my daughter really took to it by the end. The other the, the olders didn't really care after a while. And we had <laughs> many journeys. We lost the first batch. The dogs got into the cage. Oh, that's, no. that's pretty traumatic. That's actually It pretty was like traumatic. a real farm life lesson. Yeah, but the cycle of life was very apparent. Jay, ask him
0: the question. When was the last time that you didn't feel enough? Uh,
1: Much of the pandemic. Why? I think I sort of, like many actors, identify with work and being able to work as a sense of accomplishment and uh, probably a dash of ego and a dash of like secure. There's something secure about going to work because it's what I've done forever. So it's like someone saying, not that this is all you guys do. It's like someone saying, you don't have a podcast anymore. You can't do your podcast. And it was something you love doing. Everybody went through it. So it's not like actors were the only people. But for, I think, actor, artist types, you couldn't really do it. Like sculptors could still sculpt and paint, but like actors need cameramen and we need each other and we need makeup people and directors and we can't all be in the room. And it was this one collaborative art form that apparently wasn't recession proof, <laughs> turns out. There are versions of a economy where you're not working. So I think struggling to, in the best way, too, because I think on the other side of it, me personally, I feel like I'm a little better of a person or a little more balanced of a person and a little more grounded as a person and a little more, uh, hopefully, purpose-driven person. So that would be one of the last times. I mean, we're not really out of it. We're kind of out of it.
3: Now there's monkeypox, which will not be. We're not talking about monkeypox on this podcast.
1: Someone said that yesterday and Liz goes, what? No, I can't. Too, no,
0: no
3: much. Too much. Too much. Yeah. Her no, brain exploded. I can't. Why, why do they call it that? They need a new, at least give it a name that's less difficult. We've been through enough, you yeah. know?
1: MP22? It, it,
3: MP. call. Yeah, I, I think we should rebrand it as MP22. MP22.
1: <laughs>
3: Just MP sounds kind of cool. Oh, I got MP. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Feels less horrible.
1: I think I Aren't understand people? what you saying. Yeah, it sounds like a. Uh,
3: they like got together and they're like, "What's the worst thing we can call this?" Yeah, it has the make-
1: terror of like an outbreak movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. <laughs> it it does.
3: Isn't that a movie? The like, researchers if, were exposed
1: yes. to the chimpanzees. Yeah, the, and,
3: and then the chimp and then, got out. So here's and a then question. Someone. Here's and then a that's question. Why we have it?
1: Are we allowed to laugh at that?
0: There is a lot of release that comes. Like the pressure mm-hmm. gets taken out when you laugh. Because under, underneath it, the people that have monkeypox are suffering. And of course, it's a real thing affecting a community. Yes. And we're not laughing at them. The question, though, is are we allowed to laugh anymore mm-hmm. about these things?
3: Yeah. How do you make comedy how, how, in how, we,
0: how can we... Because there's real things <laughs> happening that are yes. affecting people. Yes. And I feel like and again, I got to be just mindful here, straight white guy with all the privilege in the world saying this, but what is the, what are we allowed to laugh at? Because I, this is a genuine question. I don't know. So I'm asking you, the other <laughs> straight white guy. Are you just have to good? the
1: other me? The other white guy? <laughs> <out of middle laughs> but, Anybody else want to take this one? Anybody? <laughs> what uh, are we, what are we, what are, what collectively are we collectively allowed to laugh at? I can tell <laughs> you only to laugh at. what it makes me think of. I can't tell you, I have no prescriptive version of what's, right to laugh at and what's wrong to laugh. At. I, I really, I have no version of that. So it makes me think of in a world where true communication, true communication is necessary. I think we have to have spaces where like the bad version of laughing is to laugh at someone because they have a bump on their head. It's like a, or they have a prosthetic hand. Yeah, Like kids in school would poke fun at someone who had a disability, that's bad laughter, right? Cause you're ridiculing someone f- for something that's out of their control. And it sort of dismisses them in a way that you're not going to engage them or get to know them. Perhaps if I'm still willing to engage someone, uh, and someone comes to me in your lobby, your first, your second, there's four lobbies here for anyone who's never come to the show. There's like, he might have COVID, keep him out there. Then there's, the, he can still eat, but he still might have COVID. Then there's like a hallway antechamber. It's like, okay, the COVID's gone, but I don't know if he's funny enough. Yeah. And then you're in the room. <laughs> Decompression chamber. Yeah. But if someone in one of the many chambers said, hey man, just so you know, my brother got monkeypox and it isn't a joke. I would be like, mm. I'm really Sorry. I I didn't uh, know that, and uh, I didn't mean to dismiss the terribleness of what your brother went through. And I would be willing to listen if they wanted to say more. He's like, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what's happened. There's other people going through this. I would be willing to listen to that and go, wow, okay. I wouldn't try to defend my laughter, but I don't know that I would go as far as taking it back and saying I was wrong Mm -hmm. to laugh in that moment because it's an all evolving conversation as long as, or this is how I would navigate asking, answering a big questions like, what are we okay to laugh at? I would just try to learn from it. And then if I kept getting stimulus from people that said, Hey man, no more monkeypox laughter. And my wife's like, honey, you're like 56 years old. <laughs> you're like in danger of getting canceled. You got to stop laughing at <laughs> monkeypox. <laughs> then I would be like, <laughs> all right, I get it. I get it. I and mean, my kids would be in horror, like Dad, stop laughing at monkey dogs. Right, you then can't you, you can't, can't laugh at that anymore, Dad. I've got yeah. That whole yeah. journey. Well, I'm just to be that willing to be influenced yeah. by and yeah. to take in people's experience. I'm totally down for that, and I'm not perfect. But I also think we have to afford people to go on that journey a little bit, you know. And in comedy, there needs to be a space of mistake. Mm. There has to be a space of like, I'm going to push it a little farther than it needs to go and see where the edge is. And I don't know. And in truth, like comedians don't have to have the answers, really. They're just trying to tickle people. They're just trying (laughs) to get them to giggle. And so it's not like a politician or someone like Donald Trump saying COVID's not real. Like that's dangerous. Mm. A comedian crossing the line and laughing at monkeypox isn't as dangerous because hopefully we're not looking to them for answers. And they're hmm. not the type of, they're not the same sort of role model if like Anthony Fauci said, go ahead and laugh at monkeypox. And then people are like, hey, we can't laugh at monkeypox, man. <laughs> that would be a disaster yeah. the <laughs> head of disease control said that or laugh. Yeah. yeah, right? Yeah, You're listening to the Mad Enough podcast. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Mad Enough podcast. In the spirit of like having tricky conversations about subjects where nobody knows all the answers because I have kids and they teach me a lot and I've changed a lot and I've become more awakened to other points of view and they're incredibly more advanced than I was incredibly more mature and concerned Hmm. about the world to the point where you know there's a lot of craziness going on they take in almost too much the world's very heavy so it's Let's speak to that. Earlier, you had said
2: um, you want to be a man of purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, hopefully, right? That's what you'd like to do. How do you actually navigate that being a man of purpose, and specifically as it relates to masculinity? Like, yeah, how do you navigate this conversation about masculinity if it's toxic or not? Okay, um, and what are your feelings about that?
1: So, can masculinity be toxic? Yes, I think when it's rigid. And you guys are more expert on this stuff, but I'll give you my gut reaction, and then you can pick it apart. (laughs) But uh, I think if you're too rigid, I think that's dangerous. I think sometimes too pressure to be a certain way can create anxiety and like uh, stuff that isn't. You feel like oh, I can't express this because it isn't male. Like then you got to keep that somewhere, and that's really toxic. Mm. Keeping. You're, you're An expression of a part of you or a significant part of you or a small part of you, that's, that's pretty dangerous. And I remember I was an English minor in northern Illinois. We had to write a short story and long story short, I had all these high school buddies who we used to drink too much with. And we were very normal, I think. And we had one night we were drinking and it became all like lovey-dovey. He's like, I, I want to be honest, man. I really love you and I appreciate it. And it was like this thing that nobody saw coming. It was a very seminal moment for the friends. It was like we were going off to war, but we weren't. We were just going back to college. But it was very like open for like goofy freshmen in college. Mm-hmm. And I ended up writing a paper about that. And mm. it was one of my first A's in English because this professor really liked the subject matter. And he really thought it was like an interesting take. And he said, he's, he said something, he's like, I sometimes feel like women have more latitude than men that like, they can be so many different things. They can wear men's clothes. Men can't wear women's clothes. They can do this, do that. And I, I suspect his journey, I was very tied into the limits of what a man can be. And he sort of gave me some information after that essay. And I, I remember those notes and I remember the conversation after that essay. And I thought that was really interesting so the limited nature of like the latitude of what we can be like if if women can be more things according to one man <laughs> in north <laughs> illinois but if women can be dip their toe in more worlds let's say in 1990 or whatever it was when i talked to this professor uh that was interesting to me and that was like a key point and that that was a side of like that was a vote for like well then being a rigid guy isn't a good idea sort of
3: Mm. Mm. And with that, also then comes consequences for 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 women, right? So women have more latitude emotionally. Speak but then- for women, please. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I want you to. I want you to. No. I just
1: threw a stereotype out there. No, no, no. no. I think no. you're absolutely right. Yeah. And
3: then, and then, right? It, it doesn't just curtail men's development and full expression of who they are, but then also impacts women and, and girls in in a limited way too, or it limits them too. And I guess you know, you're raising both girls and boys. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, are you intentional in the way that you're raising your boys right now in this kind of current culture? And I don't know, have you talked about Roe being overturned and what that means?
1: Yeah, I think those are pretty commonsensical at our dinner table, like the the, the lack of a woman being able to choose and how it affects mostly poor women, honestly, the the, the repercussions of that decision are really just going to hurt again, a lower class or, you know, less privileged class of folk in this country. And that's another reason why it's terrible. But in addition to, you know, a woman's body is her body. So that's, that's simple. So those are like, I think ingrained a lot of it from my wife. I don't really get credit for that, but I'm on board and we have those conversations, but I I don't think they're awkward or I think they're sort of second nature. I think Mm -hmm. that stuff's been out in the rooms with them a lot. So, and then as far as like, you know, masculinity, I still like sports, kind of, so I, I hope for them to be sporty kids. I don't know if that's masculine, but like our oldest kid, Jude, is gay, and he's a great swimmer, and that was never an issue for us. And then our middle per guy is now they, he, their gender, and I still like, I'm still doing it now, like non-binary, Emmy, uh, and so that's... How old are they? Uh, Jude is 15, Emmy's 13.
0: So when you found out, um, or when your middle yeah. one said that they were, they, yes, w- um, what was that, what was that experience like for you?
1: It came to us in sixth grade and truthfully, six of the 13 kids in their graduating class had different pronouns. They were that whole, how we, many? like six of the 13 or six of the wow. 15. Half. It's a common thing now. More and more kids are like choosing their pronouns. And, uh, it may have nothing to do with, I should know more about this gender or sexuality. It's just Mm. identity stuff. And so there, I believe in some ways, the revolution of the younger generation is around some of these issues. Mm. I really think that they're like, you guys are hung up on this gender binary and like kids, young kids, certainly in Los Angeles, seemingly could give a crap about Mm. any of that stuff. Like, Mm. so... The stumbling block for me, when you said like your uh, middle guy coming in as they, has always been and still struggled, is a, is the grammatical hammering of like, I went to like Catholic school and I went to like, it's like they is plural and it's always like, so it's a lot of like they, 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 they you know. Mm-hmm.
0: So was there any um, programming that you had had growing up where when your middle child says that, I don't know, did, were there dreams of, you know, I want my boy to be this or this or this, and then you had to kind of reconcile that in the moment? Was there, do, do you share I've, that in some with, with your wife and you guys talk through it? Or was it just really like, oh, okay, well.
1: Yeah, I think it's more, I, I don't think I had a lot of expectations for my kids. Like
0: That's rare, that's really sweet.
1: Well, maybe it's not, maybe I don't push them hard enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do whatever you want. Watch eight hours of cartoons. I don't care. Just just don't get hurt. In a simple way, like I've, I don't know that I ever had like, I like I, expectations wise, what do I want? For, I want them to be respectful. Uh, I want them to listen. Uh, I want them to like do some chores. You know, I, I guess I have expectations about like behavior, but as far as like goals of like, I want you to be a soccer player. I want you to be a weightlifter. I want you to be be able to chop a tree with one arm or something. I don't know. I don't think I have that in me. I'm not that macho. So I don't know that I had any expectations, but it wasn't easy. I can't say like piece of cake. Mm. Like the, the, my understanding of non, of, of non-binary is that you are just, in some ways they're rejecting the concept of they have to be a he. Like why does they have to be a he? Uh, That's my take on it. Like, Mm -hmm. I can live as I am in the they. And so it's understanding the language around that. And To be that young and to be processing all of this is, I mean, what was I thinking about when I
0: was oh my
1: gosh, in sixth right? grade? Like yeah. I, I think
0: about that and it, it almost feels like that generation, and, and, and I'm not taking, and I wanna be mindful, I'm not taking away anything about gender identity or, or anything, but it almost feels more like an energetic shedding of, of the patriarchy, the energetic shedding of the traditional ideas of the boxes that we've been putting each other in versus I am identifying as this and I'm attracted to these people. Because from what I've been learning about and reading about, many of them don't even have the attraction in them yet. It's about, a. Reg- it's just like I wanna be me and choose my own thing. It could be a very evolved view of the world and something that honestly I I wish that we as adults could embrace not specifically about gender but about the notions and the ideas of who we've been told we have to be as it relates to our gender um but we're talking you know when you're in 6th grade and and younger there's so many th- i mean god the the, the world is wow. so complicated everything is such a huge deal and and uh, and so I don't I don't actually have a, a thought here outside of but, like wow yeah. this is like a it's 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 kind of a profound thing to think about.
3: And is it a big deal? Is also kind of what I'm thinking about, right? Where there's this huge now national conversation around this issue, and there's you know people who are against children being taught about gender identity in elementary school, and there are people who think this is too young; they shouldn't be thinking about this. And there are people sort of on the other side who are saying, no, we we should and we must, and there's no. You know, no one is too young to have these conversations. And I guess I wonder how like that feels like adults shouting at each other.
0: Well, it's, it's like, no different, it's no different than what we're doing in general. It's the left and the right shouting yeah, at each but, other. Yeah, al- but things. also
3: I think there's a generational thing here where where to your point, there's yeah. a whole generational shift and adults are kind of trying to grapple with it. And I and I guess we haven't really heard that much from kids. And I, I'm curious with, with your child, mm. you know, it seems like it's just like, oh, this is what I'm doing and we think it's a big deal, but is it a big deal to, to younger kids who are growing up in this?
1: Well, the kids don't care. Like, again, Uh, I think in the slice that is like Los Angeles, you know, the city that they they all grew up in, they're very like, uh, they don't care about it, seemingly. They, They don't care if you're gay or if you're they, or seemingly it's not an issue, like in a way that I don't think we, or I can speak for my generation, which was I don't know that we knew anyone gay until I. I don't think I knew anyone officially gay until I was in college. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time to go. And if you, yeah, if you did know someone, you did, you weren't aware of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. The was too. There hot, were friends who risky. later came yeah. out. Yeah. 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 That I. Oh yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I did associate or hang with a, a few gay uh, friends at the time, but. They weren't out and mm-hmm. I, didn't know, I didn't know enough of them to recognize anything, not that it mattered. I, you know. I appreciate you sharing that, um,
2: that walk, your oldest child expressed they were gay and then your middle child um, being non-binary. Um, so for me, my oldest daughter, who's now 32, uh, when she was 20 something, Um, told me, told us that she was gay. I couldn't share with anyone that I was thrown by it. Mm -hmm. Because if I share that, then I'm homophobic or I'm, and the truth was, so I kept it in for a minute and I didn't know where to do, what to do with it. And that, you know, I have my programming and my learning and what I have always thought, boys with girl, girls with boy, that's how it works, blah, blah, blah. And not to say that's right, or wrong, but that's how I mm-hmm. had been raised. So now my daughter's telling me that she's gay. And I remember having a conversation with her at Coco's restaurant my, and she sat across from me and I had asked her, baby, um, tell me what's going on with you. Cause she had not shared it quite out loud, but she was living a life that was clear. Um, I said, why don't you tell me what's going on? And I could see she was hesitant. And then I asked her, who is Jay in your life? And she says, she's my girlfriend. I was like, okay, I love you. She's like, do you mean that? I said, I love you with all my heart. Here's <clears throat> what I will say. I might have some learning to do or some learning to do. I cannot promise you that I am 100% giddy or not. But what I can promise you is you are free to live your life and to know that I love you and that you can come home every day and bring Jay over. And I support you on your journey. This is your journey between you and God and yourself and your walk of life. It's not to live according to how I walk. This is your journey and I love and support you." And she appreciated the fact that I was honest. I didn't hide behind the fact that I was grappling with something, Um, but yet she could feel my support. And and, I've, and I'm have and i watching and I'm listening to like how you dealt with it in different people, because um, that is something that I feel a lot of people, a lot of men our generation, I'm 52, I think you said you're 56, that weren't prepared for it as much as maybe my son will be prepared for it if, if that happens in his life and he has a child. So we have to be able to have the freedom to say, oh, I I'm not sure how to deal with that. What does that mean? Does that challenge, you know, so... I appreciate you sharing it and and it not and me being able to say it and and not have the fear of being ostracized or canceled Mm -hmm. because I'm being honest about like.
0: Mm -hmm. We have to be able to have these conversations because nobody is perfect and all of us are coming to the table with the ways that we were raised and ideas of things that we thought and Maybe expectations, maybe not. And it's okay to be able to process that stuff and that we're real human beings.
3: And it's like, so I as I came up to my parents when I was 32 and I, I'm, I'm bisexual. And it was so late and I felt so embarrassed that I came out. No, but it's okay. But like, because I grew up in a very progressive family, I have a master's in gender studies. Like I talk about all of this (laughs) all the time. (laughs) I'm telling other people that it's safe and that I love them. But I'm (laughs) keeping this secret from the people I'm the closest with. And what really struck me in that experience was that being bi is like not a big deal to me. It's like really not in the same way that I'm sure you don't think about the fact that you're straight all the time. You're not like, oh, I'm an attracted to, like it's not a mm. fundamental part of your identity, it's just something that you do. Except to- that I'm
2: not, I am not i don't walk through the world being put into a box because I'm straight. Whereas people yes. being gay or being bisexual are in fact yes, ridiculed oftentimes. Yes, you're de- more defined by, that. defined by
3: that. But moreover, it was the fact that it was a secret. And I wouldn't have made it a secret, but the fact that I didn't tell my, The fact that the assumption was that unless I told them otherwise, they believe I'm straight. Mm -hmm. Right. Unless your um, child tells you otherwise, you're assuming a certain pronoun for them. Um, Then it's that's the weight of it is that it's somehow a a secret. And as soon as it's not a secret anymore, it's actually not that much of a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so I guess I'm coming back to, again, this very elevated conversation that we're having politically, nationally, it feels like it's so elevated because it's, it's it's again, it's it's about this thing that we're making so important because we're deciding should it be a secret or not. And maybe if we just decided it doesn't need to be a secret, it doesn't need to be something that you hide or you show, it just is. I, you know, identify with these pronouns. I also, I like broccoli and and I don't eat chicken and I'm vegetarian. Like, why is being vegetarian like something you you do and that can change over time right all like it's not even these categories also aren't fixed but
2: i think for many people and i'm not defending this position but i think the reality is for many choosing broccoli or choosing um, um asparagus doesn't conflict with a um their personal understanding of science, or morality, or religion, or whatever it may be, but right? But why does so that, one?
3: Why is one more and one is not? I guess is my question. I'm not why saying is that it is food or not. and se- right, like it's we assign that. Sure, to sex I'm and saying gender. that
2: that is what's reality sure. for so many people in the sure, world. Sure, 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 sure. That 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 is now challenging something that I have that one may have a core belief about.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So maybe that's why it, it's not as simple as. I picked this gum or that But that is
3: a sign, right? And I think that's, I'm acknowledging what you're saying and I think that's the opportunity to be like, oh, why is someone's preference with food, you know, something I just go, okay, but their preference for intimate relationships is like a whole other thing I need to process and think about. And again, you know, that I I have to be comfortable with. Like, I I just would love us to, again, I think it requires listening. I think it requires hearing each other. And um, to me, that's what comedy is.
2: You're listening to the mad enough podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the mad enough podcast. Let me ask you this question. It says here in your bio that you are a two time Emmy nominated <laughs> actor. Yes. Uh, keyword Emmy nominated. So what do we have to do to, so it says Emmy winner instead of nominated, uh, and, uh, how do you feel about that? Is there any <laughs> thing that you feel like, shit, I haven't won? Does it make you feel less than? Does it make you feel like you're not as accomplished? Does it do something to your ego? I, I, tell us about I that. can
1: honestly say I don't really care that I didn't win. Like in the moment when you're there and you're at the awards, it's a real bummer and you don't want to go to the party afterwards. That is true. But mm. you figure a way out and then you're – Many of your friends have won and you have fun, but so you don't, but the truth is for me, but of course I'd like to win this. This isn't just rationalization. I would love to win. And I was invested in it. Once I sat in that chair at that ceremony, I'm like, what if I won? Oh my God, I don't really know what I'll say. And Mm. then you don't win, of course. So, So, but in the moment, in the moments after or, and even before it's like at the end of the day, comedy, at least you remember who's funny? Like you can you remember Frazier's funny, but you don't remember he won 10 Emmys. Like you remember Seinfeld's funny. Mm. He might not have won. He probably won an Emmy. Like Julia obviously has won a million, but which is a whole other thing. Like she's a generational talent. So that's different. But like at the end of the day, you sort of just remember like, Oh, that guy's funny. Like Jim Carrey is so funny. I couldn't tell you how many awards he's won and what awards he's won. Mm. But if you're delivering the goods and people get you, and we have fans, or I have fans. It's like that's really—it's about the, work. the Best. It's about the work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the best. Yeah. If people appreciate you, and see you as like, oh, that guy's good, then that's really the best.
0: Mm. Yeah, so. And I
1: have—I have interestingly enough the opposite thing, where
0: I've always felt like I—I've never felt seen. So like I was never, uh, you know, homecoming, like prom. Uh, ever, when when we would uh, do you have that in Canada? Emily finds this barbaric, and it really is a barbaric thing. This idea of voting for the popular oh, kids. Yeah. yeah. When, when I wrote about that in my book, she was like, "Wait, you guys do that? You mm. vote for who's mm. popular? Mm-hmm. This sounds terrible. This is why Sweden is such a great country." But <laughs> so I've never been nominated, you know, or and so I've always been like, I, I'm not a part of the cool club. So even the idea for me of getting nominated would be winning. Like when 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 the show I was on was invited, to, when we were nominated for a Golden Globe, I wasn't nominated. We were collectively,
1: I was like ready to retire. The attention that people celebrating with me was awesome. And then I guess in a career-driven industry, you're like, oh, I wonder if this helps my career. It must help my career, right? So that's like the professionalism in me is like, good, all right, that's good. And then, but I don't know like if I felt, uh, I don't know, I didn't feel on the inside now and I never felt cool. I can honestly say I never felt cool. It's not like I felt like I didn't belong here. It's just like like any party I go to, I was like, I'll find like five people to talk to. Yeah. And then the big swirl could be over there. There could be a group of alphas over here and it doesn't bother me. They can win the day or they can do yeah. whatever. <laughs> and I'll find my friends. And then lo and behold, I'll run into more friends and I'll sort of navigate my life that way.
0: Yeah. And art is such a weird thing to vote on. It is. Yeah. Every movie, you know, we make movies here at the studio. So every movie's a miracle. Every show's a miracle. Your performance is your performance. You can't compare that to somebody else. I don't true. Know, that's, just, that's just my thing with award shows and voting. But that all could be because of my underlying trauma of being invited <laughs> yeah. to. So I, you know what? Forget everything that I just I said. I was nominated for
2: um, <laughs> three, well, one category. I had three nominations out of four for a best song. Um, was that the Grammys? No, this is the Emmys. That's right? cool. Three out of four got all dressed up. My wife and I go. Three out of four.
1: Wait, wait. Three out of four meaning in the same category.
2: So what? three out of four three song- different songs. Three different, three songs. different songs. You had three done- different songs nominated for best song. Oh no! Out oh, of Oh, I know where this is going. Yeah, <laughs> and I lost.
0: <laughs> I didn't know you were. There.
2: Oh, wait, I didn't yeah. know you were an
0: Emmy nominated composer. An, I am
1: indeed. That's but even three- more painful. Wow. Out of four. How do you so lose painful. that one? Wow, that's losing three times.
3: That is losing
2: so painful. Times.
1: I mean. It, You gotta feel like, oh, odds are I'm gonna win. Yeah, you're not even being confident; Uh, you're just being logical. You got the whole. One time when I was (laughs) twenty,
0: I was I was new to L. A. It was pilot season, and I was the only person that they screen tested for a job, and I didn't get (laughs) (laughs) it. It was a comedy. That's probably why.
3: you're all laughing. Right. And, and I think that's your, your true power is, is just the power of comedy to not just add levity, but to actually help you process life mm-hmm. and process. I mean, we were talking about this earlier, even with, with gender issues and controversial things that we talk about on this podcast, mental health issues. Um, how, yeah. What is the role of sort of comedy for oh you in, in, in those moments?
1: In the moments of,
3: failure of vulnerability of um you know disappointment well,
1: i think sometimes it's a uh, defense mechanism for a, avoiding going deeper or avoiding yeah. engaging in a moment that makes you uncomfortable so unfortunately sometimes it's that mm-hmm. so i'll deflect a moment as opposed to really trying to understand it or just let go and be in it that's quite honest mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. other times it's useful to cheer up you know, my kids maybe, or cheer someone up. Um, And then, I don't know, sometimes it's just like to make things more fun, try to find something (laughs) funny in it when it's too serious. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's probably some elements of like attention-seeking behavior. I'm a middle child, so I like attention Mm. on my terms. So I try to be funny and identify with being funny. which isn't the whole hundred percent of who I am, but it's a part of me Mm -hmm. and I'm comfortable with that part of me. So that has something to do with my like inserting humor into rooms or moments Mm -hmm. and comedy.
2: Um, this is something that, you know, Rain Wilson is one of our dear friends and he is an idiot. Um, uh, and I say that with a lot of love. He's and an affection. Idiot. He's he a is. complete idiot. I
0: hope you're, you're way better away. socially than <laughs> um, he's he is. But he very deals talented with, man.
2: He is. But he deals with such sensitive subjects uh, in a way that I could never, or another could never, because of his comedy and because he's a way to to bring up something that we're all thinking about or feeling, and yet he puts the right amount of thing in there that uh, makes it easier to swallow. Um, and you clearly, obviously, as an improv king. Are, are able to deal with sensitive subjects and, and masculinity in a way that,
1: you know, many can't. Um, Let's hope so. I don't know. I mean, I may just put a better face on when I'm on podcast too. I mean, I, I, I could so. be a monster when I go home. I could just have my podcast persona. That's true. Yeah. And then I have my monster, my monster persona at home. In the, in the spirit of vulnerability, I'm going to admit something.
0: Yeah. I have always secretly wanted to be funny. And I am always told by my friends that I'm not that funny. <laughs> right. Right. Um, uh, and, but, but it stopped me from when I was younger and started acting, it stopped me from going to improv and yeah. from your school because I was, I had to be at least present the way some of my core trauma was, I had to present like I was good at something. Mm -hmm. Uh Because I was always really good at the things that I chose to do. And then I never did the things that I wasn't. I would do them privately, Mm -hmm. but I would never do them publicly. And improv forces you to be vulnerable publicly. It perhaps might be the most vulnerable form of a theatrical expression because you don't have lines. You're not necessarily, you, you, there's, you can't redo takes. You're in front of a live audience and it's just what comes through you. And it's a very, it seemed to be a very vulnerable process. And I was too afraid mm. to learn how to do improv. And I think um, it's why Jamie to this day doesn't think that I'm very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how
2: many times you fall on your face
0: Im- improvising.
2: Cause
1: yeah. obviously
0: as he just said, I mean.
1: Sure, bajillion. Bajillion.
0: Sure. So I I find that I, I I find that really courageous for, for, yeah. for when people do I like I, I find stand up comics very well, courageous Well yeah I, I think stand
1: up comedy is the hardest cuz you're solo mm-hmm. and, like, and you're alone. In, yes. Yeah and you're yes. alone and and with improv or sketch you have people to commiserate with mm, if the yeah. show is terrible. So you can go out and have a drink with people and go wow what was going on? I don't know I was terrible. I was I was ter- <laughs> really oh good cuz I felt like I was the only one who was terrible. So you have that built into the team sport of improv. But Hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's hard. I, 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 you're being sincere. Like it's it's something you want, and you something you couldn't catch or you didn't. Yeah. Get, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe in. I'll take
0: a maybe I'll take a class at some point. Good.
1: Sure. I maybe mean, I'll take a
0: class. Uh, do you? Let's do one right now. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. Do no. improv. Do a, no no do the it. class.
0: Do the class. No. What I mean. Do the no class. class. Part of this show, part of what we're doing, is trying to have these conversations and modeled that vulnerability because that was something that I never saw growing up. Um, Yeah. And I respect that in a lot of comedians. How much do you think in comedy and improv, um, we, and I'll specifically ask about men, are are doing it to mask how we're like actually feeling? Because we can't talk about the things that we're feeling. So you can't maybe talk about what's happening in your life. So you put it into comedy and that becomes almost
1: therapy. I mean, you write what you know, so your life inevitably comes out in your creative stuff. So, sure, there's some therapy in there. I also think, like, in the way that we didn't want to talk about monkeypox, I don't think in a comedy show you want to tackle these sad issues or something. People are there to laugh, so you steer clear of stuff that's going to be, like, heavy or depressing, or you don't want to remind people of the guy who got hit by the car out front last night right? (laughs) when you're sitting in a comedy theater. You're just going to keep going and be in the moment and try to provide some laughs. And mm-hmm. and all of us have like a joyous time would be the, mm. the simple goal or be funny. So you avoid those subjects because that's not what comedy is necessarily for. Mm. Not that you can't go anywhere with it, but you. I think in an improv show, your instincts are to avoid if something feels dark or heavy or like, oh man, that is not, I don't want to see that. Or it goes mm. to a place where people are like, then you just kind of steer out of it and clean the slate and start something new. Do you hope so, we can
0: start to laugh more as a nation, as a culture? Do you do you think that would help bring us together if we could like laugh with each other instead of maybe at each other?
1: I don't know that we're not laughing though. Like, I guess what makes you think we're not laughing anymore? Like, that's my question. Hmm. Good question.
0: Thank I you. I guess I guess by the I guess by just the thought of are we allowed to laugh at that?
2: Because there's a narrative going around, obviously, so there, th- about. Um, oh, we can't laugh anymore at this. We can't laugh. Everyone's too sensitive to can't do that. Well, this. I've just
0: heard a lot of comedians actually say that. Yeah, and and I don't think we've discussed the underlying reasons why or why why we can't. Which mm-hmm. kind of goes back to the comedy of it, which is what makes something funny. If I laugh at the person
1: who's who's got the who's who's disabled, that's not funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's I guess, I guess I understand what you're saying because people in a social media world are going to have reactions to everything and so inevitably something you thought was well thought of and sensitive could flame up uh an internet thing or a Instagram thing or a TikTok thing I don't know you you could suffer and enrage uh and people could claim that you're traumatizing them with your materials. So that I understand. So I don't have a good answer for that. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like I don't do stand up. I I do podcasts. So let me know what the comments are (laughs) on this one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I think
3: one of the great things about UCB that, that I, you know, as just again, going through and doing improv classes and was that they, they told us straight up um, kind of some of the rules. That, that, that kind of ensured that the comedy was safe. not not safe, but just, like, inclusive, right? Like, if you're kind of including everybody, which, again, is just about collaboration. It's not a political thing, right? Um, so one thing is, you know, my sister did improv growing up, and she told me, you know, and she's now 40, so she, she was like, you were always someone's girlfriend or the wife. Like, if mm-hmm, you were in a scene with a guy, mm-hmm. you'd end up, like, because it's all about collaboration, right? You're both there making it as you go, but you the 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 woman ends up that and i remember them saying that at the beginning they're like don't do that guys right like like don't turn her into your supporting character Mm -hmm. um which we want to teach our children which we want to teach any team that works together right Right. even a wayfarer here on this set if one person's not listening to the like it just doesn't work
0: what did you say D U R. Huh? I got three laughs. You can't uh, count uh, your high. laugh. You only got can't, two.
3: Or
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it? A courtesy laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it was clever. It was clever. Thanks. Nice. I'm truly yeah, trying, it, guys. It, it, no, this is this is
0: my audition for UCB. How do you think?
2: Do you think comedy can be used as a um, a source of changing culture for the good, um, having impact in that way?
1: feels like a press conference for the world right now <laughs> and I have to come up with a great answer. I got to be honest. Like I, I avoid these conversations. Like I, I don't read comments. I don't like a perfect bubble for me is like write a funny script. I'll I'll embody it. I'll come up with funnier jokes uh, extending your ideas and then I'll go hide for a while <laughs> <laughs> really? until my next project. Like I don't know how to speak for anyone. Like, no, but I mean, but I, I think mean that's for powerful you. though. I
3: also think that's, that's it. Like yeah. everyone doesn't have to know everything and have an opinion about everything too, no, right? I, like, I agree, except I think for it's that. Good.
2: But, but let me, let, let me push back just a little bit. Sure, more, sure, my sure. Thought. My thought is uh, we all have ultimately obligations. Uh, I believe yes. an obligation to make, um, to bring forth an ever advancing civilization, to make yes. our children better than we are. Yes. So that we keep progressing and be better towards each other, better to women, better to people of color, better to the marginalized groups of people. And that weighs heavier, the responsibility for people who have more privilege. One of the things that you do contribute to the world is, is acting, comedy, uh, um, joy, laughter. Is that one of the ways that you feel you can do that?
1: I feel like me helping make the world better for the future is the things I do like uh, helping a call to men or supporting. uh, I have a charity group we meet once a month and we give out like micro loans of things that make LA more awesome. I help with uh, open books. We put these books with like gender creative heroes. So kids in elementary school who are considering where they fit in can see a hero in a book. In the middle of Iowa, hopefully, or wherever, and they go, Oh, I'm not alone. And then also the kids in the class who are like, I think I got a cousin like that who don't identify with that, but it just sort of normalizes things and gives a little hope here and there. Like those things mm. I feel like I do with like direct charity or fundraisers. Like if there's a political candidate I like or an issue I like, I'll throw money at it or like, mm. A guy in Illinois, Sean Caston, who's like an environmentalist congressman, which there's like two in Congress. (laughs) You know, I I do fundraisers for him. So like, I feel like my affecting change where I feel like I'm directly trying to make the world better for my kids and everyone's kids and move the needle forward. Um, So those things I feel like are more effective. Mm -hmm. Comedy, I don't know. That makes sense. I I really don't know. Like, just to me... I feel like I always say this, but like music's more powerful than comedy. Music transports <laughs> us, tra- takes us to what we could be as a species or as a group, or it's like, oh my God, we're we're, we're traveling to Mars, listen to that music. You mm-hmm. know, it's like really transporting. And like comedy reminds us is that we're dumb animals. Like, oh my God, I, I am that dumb animal. <laughs> like every laugh that ultimately hits us to the core is reminding us, oh my God, I am that stupid. Or, I did do that once. <laughs> Honey, am I like, yes, oh my God, that's so funny. So you're con- you're constantly like knocking us back with comedy. You're con- you're not elevating us. You're not saying like we as a race can get along, or we as a people can mm-hmm. get along, or we as genders can get along, or I don't know. Like you're not saying that with comedy. I think, although to that end, obviously Richard Pryor broke ground and it was, was did a lot for right uh, race relations. Honestly, because he talked about taboo things. I don't have that history, or I don't have that. Uh, baggage because mm. i did not have a tough childhood i did not grow up in a whorehouse. you know i did not you know get discriminated against so i'm someone of privilege so i should shut up quite honestly right i should listen i should be on the side of the room and watching and listening and mm. chip in when necessary or when someone writes me and then i'll come in you know <laughs> so mm. i don't know what comedy does for anything really mm. wow well, mm.
3: love that i love That's that answer.
1: answer thank you for
0: that yeah. It, yeah. a, it has allowed you to serve in the other ways. That's right. It's, I guess so, yeah. Like my success,
1: yeah. hopefully, yeah. I'm giving back in, uh, yeah. I give eggs to my friends. You do. That's eggs sweet. that I grow in my little yard. Walsh Farm. But that's humble. Walsh, Walsh Farm. So so it's a
2: quite humble stance too, because you one could respond with, yeah, the comedy is actually, it does this for humanity. It does this, it does this, and I'm contributing in a big way. And what you just said is, this is a way to laugh. Okay, great, cool. I'm contributing that way. But here's the other ways that I'm actually advancing humanity and that takes humility to acknowledge that
1: well it's also more tangible like it's nebulous whether like my comedy show makes you less aggressive and less of a creep in the parking lot after the show like i don't know <laughs> do you know what i mean i think it does so it's well sure you can say that but there aren't there aren't longitudinal studies there aren't case studies it <laughs> said 90 percent of the creeps who go to comedy shows are less likely to be offenders six months after that show <laughs> Like nobody knows right. but we should launch but like, us the first one. I do a uh, golf outing, which you'll be invited to for Defy Ventures, which gets men and women who come out of prison mm-hmm. and teaches them to get jobs because we live in a capitalist society. If you don't have a job, you mm-hmm. don't have value. So we and they, they get them degrees. And so it's like these people have served their time. Now let's reintegrate them mm-hmm. and let's give them mentorship. And so that's like a tangible thing for like, an underdog. Like Show me the underdog and I'll help out. Like, yeah, I'll show, I show up that. for the underdog. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's tangible. Not that it's going to, I don't know what percentage of the population. <laughs> you know, there's still discrimination in prison populations. It's, an, it's a nightmare. Of yes. course. Yeah. You can do little things and you have to have faith in little things. So, those changes, I hope, make a little difference. And they make me feel like I'm hopefully doing what you said, which is, like, maybe we can make this, pass this, mm-hmm thing on a little bit better, Mm -hmm. hopefully. Yeah, Mm
3: -hmm. and it's about uh, doing, not like saying what you're gonna do or saying how people should feel, but it's like just doing it.
1: There's a lot of talented
2: people. There's a lot of funny people. There's a lot of great actors. There's a lot of great musicians. There's a lot of great people. There's not as many maybe that feel um, the privilege of being able to help in other ways. So I walk away now, not just Matt, the, the, the success story. I go, Matt. The guy that's doing some of these other things over here. And that's the guy I want to know and hang out with. Appreciate that. Appreciate it. And I just
1: want some of your eggs. So it could happen. I might, if I have enough when I get up to Ojai in the next coming weeks, that would be
0: be awesome. I'll have an omelet. Um, Final question Mm -hmm. Matt Walsh What does it mean to
1: you to be man enough? Um, you guys should have emailed me this a day or two before <laughs> this is really like gotcha stuff here <laughs> uh man enough is this i'm going to ask a question to buy myself some time <laughs> man enough as in what advice would i give to someone or when i'm questioning my manhood what do i fall back on whatever about? you whatever what do you man think? enough the name of the podcast the name of the book that i wrote you know <laughs> did you do
0: your research what? before yeah, I yeah, you came on this show by the show? way What does it mean to to be man enough in the sense of we're reclaiming that word? We're redefining that word. We're we're throwing it all out.
1: (sighs) As a man, I can own this, right? As a man. Whatever it means to you.
3: Don't be worried. There's
0: no gotcha here. You you don't have a wrong answer. I know
1: there's no gotcha. You guys are on my side. Um, (laughs) What does man enough mean to me? I I feel like (laughs) (laughs) man enough to me means take care of your health. Great. I Mm. like that. That's all I can say. Yes. You want to be man enough, take care of your health. Mm. Get some exercise, try to eat well, try to be smart, read some stuff, get some fresh air, go visit nature. You want to be man enough, do those things. Mm. Mm. I like that. That's a challenge. And we know that
0: 68% of men do not go to the doctor even though they need to. Say it again. Really? It's like 68% of men don't go to the doctor, even though they have a reason to, because they think it's unmanly to have something wrong with it. Really? Them. Yeah, so, so dumb. You just Well, uh, I shouldn't
1: say dumb, de- because I'll get in trouble, but it mm-hmm. seems dumb. Silly. Silly. <laughs> it does. Listen, you silly head. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> you do <laughs> don't believe in Western medicine, the stuff that gave us the vaccine, go see a Western or an Eastern doctor. Yeah, I yeah, believe in that, too. Sure. Yeah, just Any see doctor. someone about your. Just health. see somebody. Who, yeah. whatever that is. Well, you look really it. healthy. And Knock you on are, wood. You are man enough. You're so. in more. You're in better shape. You're probably in better shape. What too. do you mean probably? Why probably? <laughs> well, look at this guy. What do you mean He's probably? He's kind of ripped. Look at, you. Don't have what he. This is like. There's a lot more beef here. I mean, you're a talented athlete. You're a great golfer. I just look like one. Are you a distance runner? <laughs> How's your cardio? How's <laughs> your cardio? What do you think? Do you run? No. <laughs> All right, then you're not in better shape than him. <laughs> if he started chasing you out of the parking lot, who would run out of gas first? Mm-hmm. Oh, I would. Yeah. <laughs> but he would get injured before. I want to see you two race. Oh, no. Thank
0: you so much for being here, man. Thank we God. always say this at the end um, to those who actually uh, deserve it. You are enough. Mm-hmm. So thank you for you're being sure? here.
1: Thank you, Matt. And, Thanks so um,
0: back We appreciate it. <laughs> you guys <laughs> have the same shirt on, by the way. Do we? Oh, yeah. yeah. Same style. Same shirt. We same same style. One, uh, if you... As always, mine's, if you like the podcast, nicer, like and subscribe to us Feel wherever mine. you get your podcast. And uh, while they talk about their shirts and golf, uh, Liz, yeah, yeah, yeah. thank you for being Fair here enough. with me.
3: Thank <laughs> you, Justin. Time. We'll Our let them hang
0: out. More uh, <laughs> we'll see you next time. This is Man Enough. Thanks for playing along.
2: For playing along you. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble. In partnership with Cadence 13 and Odyssey Company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Southfeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer. Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing. And Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.